So John chapter 20, verses 19 through 23. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and he said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. Yeah. Very good. Let me open here. Awesome. Welcome to Park Hill Church, you guys. Well done, Aaliyah. Um, my name is Evan. It's good to meet you. Uh, my wife, Sandy, and I have the joy of leading this church. Feels like family to lead with the team that we lead with. Feels like family. And like she said, you are invited to belong here. And the primary way that that happened, that movement, that, that inertia of belonging lands in communities. And so, if, again, I just feel prompted to reiterate, just like Aaliyah said, she said it perfectly, but I really invite anyone looking to see, like, what would it look like to belong here, to come today at 3 p.m. and be part of the basics class. Um, so, yeah, today we start a three-month series called Receive the Holy Spirit, series on the Holy Spirit. And that's a quote directly from the mouth of Jesus. In John 20, just like Aaliyah read. And so the goal today is not just to, uh, well, the goal today is, is, is basically to introduce the series, but I have an eight-minute intro before the intro sermon, so hopefully that's okay. So here it is. Here's the eight-minute intro. I want to set this up, hopefully clearly. As Sandy and myself and the leaders, the elders and the staff, and even in conversation really with a lot of you, um, for the past few months, there's been a consensus forming and it seems to be that Jesus wants our community to spend three months intentionally looking into the eyes of the person of the Holy Spirit uh, for at least two reasons. Number one, to lean into church unity. Um, so, so the Spirit seems to be bringing together multiple churches around this right now. I was talking to my friend Darren, who pastors Garden Church up in Long Beach, and uh, I was like, hey, Sunday after Easter, we're going to do this thing on the Holy Spirit. We feel called deeper. And, and he's like, we're doing 14 weeks on the Spirit starting April 24th. That's very strange. And then uh, and one of my mentors, Chris Veenan in Costa Mesa, he pastors a church called Genesis. Same thing. Same, same focus for the spring in, on, this, on the Spirit. And, and so it really does, I think those are the kinds of things that God can do. And, and so it seems like God is rallying his people, and we're saying yes to that, to that rally, that inter-church rally. And, and reason number two is not just to lean into unity out there, but to, but to build up the insides of who we are, to build up this family. As, you know, the world is reopening, right? It's still kind of finding its new footing after two years of crazy. And I'm convinced along with many leaders, this will not be a back-to-business-as-usual thing. Um, if we haven't figured that out yet, uh, we will. It's not a back-to-business-as-usual thing that we're looking for. It's a forward to this new thing that Jesus wants to do, specifically in his church. 
What, what if this never was about rebuilding anything, but about building? Not rebuilding, but building something new for God's glory in San Diego, a diverse, unified family that Gen Alpha, or whatever they're calling Gen After Z, <laughs> whatever, whatever my kid's age grows up, what church will we have them inherit by 2050? Um, we can intentionally invite the Spirit into that movement and planning and blueprint process. And, and so here we are, right here. We want to be the strong, healed, continuously being healed family um, that is a place of belonging for all who would follow Jesus and look for home in God. So here we are, accepting that invitation from Jesus. Receive. He, it says he breathed on him and, and commanded, really, gentle command with breath, receive my spirit. And so uh, last thing in this little intro piece, I realize in a room like this, you talk about the Holy Spirit and the spiritual gifts, and we're going to manifest the gifts of the Spirit, <laughs> and immediately the room splinters into like three groups, not to be divisive, just naming it. Um, group one, some of you have a healthy longing for this. Like, you're, you're like, your background is like, oh, I've had great experiences with this. And, you're, and you, you want to grow more in the prophetic and healing and figure out what you think about tongues. And you're just like, finally, let's get weird, you know? You're like, I'm in. And I mean, you've been waiting for this. And if that's you, I want to say this. It is very possible to have a good and healthy desire for a good experience with God without a biblical foundation on which to set it. Um, and that's what we want to give you over these next three months is a solid theological, biblical foundation to build your hunger on. Um, and, and so that's group one. Group two, others of you hear about the Holy Spirit and you know, prophecy and healing and gifts and immediately you, you, you're more hesitant than pumped. You're more like defensive and genuinely like nervous, fearful. Uh, and I, that's 100% fine, totally okay. Um, that could be because of unfamiliarity. You're not familiar. Maybe you grew up in a tradition that essentially glossed over the passages on the spiritual manifestations or topics like prophecy, and you're like, I don't really know. It seems good. Eh, whatever. Uh, and, or may, maybe, you know, this isn't just part of your spiritual history. Because of unfamiliarity, you stay away from it. Or maybe you assume, yeah, that's cool out there, but it's just not, I'm just not wired that way or whatever. Um, which is great. And maybe your hesitancy is not from unfamiliarity, but you're like hyper familiar with it. And you grew up maybe in a toxic or manipulative spiritual environment. And your only interaction with prophecy brings up bad memories or, or wounds, um, spiritual wounding from your past. And so the easiest thing for you to do is just spend to stay away from concepts like this altogether, to hold them at arm's length and say, hey, that's really not my thing. That's as close as it gets. So if, if hesitancy or defensiveness describes you at all, that is awesome and welcome. And I want to offer you an explanation. And, and, and I want to offer you an understanding of life and the power of the Spirit for these three months. The thing we should all be longing for. What is the thing that Paul says, I want you all to eagerly desire prophecy. What is that? What am I saying I want when I say that sentence? Um, whatever it is, it's a very good thing that Paul puts at the top of the list, of his wish list. So, so and, and then the third group 
in the room, you might be like, I don't know what you're talking about. You're saying this is this controversial. I'm just thinking, when's the intro gonna be over? I'm good. Um, and if that's where you're at right now, that's probably a really great place to start, actually, as we accept Jesus' invitation to receive the Holy Spirit. So let's get to the text. Remember, that's a quote from Jesus. And, and here's the passage again on the screen. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, doors locked, afraid, Jesus says, Shalom, peace be with you. And he showed them his hands, can you imagine? And his side, which Thomas said, I gotta see the marks. And Jesus like, here you go. The embodied suffering of Jesus restored and the disciples were overjoyed. And get this, look at verse 21, three things. Peace be with you, number one. Number two, as the Father sent me, I send you. And number three, receive the Spirit. Can you put that next slide up? There they are in a list. Those are three really important things we gotta wrap our minds around, at least start to scratch the surface of if we're gonna follow Jesus in the world. Um, so, so look at the one in the middle. How many of you ever heard that one? As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Does that sound familiar? This is ground zero for mission. This is where we get the idea of mission. Not just missionaries, like someone that goes far away is a true missionary, uh, but, but far away and near. Anyone that bears the love of God in their heart and brings people into the story of Jesus is, is whether, whether it's through your work or your play or your art or your business or your studies, whatever you're doing, you are on God's mission to your place. That's ground zero. Number two right there is ground zero for that idea. Um, but here's the thing our leadership is sensing. As we talk to you and the community leaders and have conversations, we get this sense that there's a lot to do. <laughs> like walk for water? How many are we doing? The answer is four. <laughs> there's four walks for water that we're doing starting last fall. We're going fall, spring, fall, spring. All of you are called to the, uh, not a trilogy, but whatever four is, quadrilogy of walks, where we are hopefully funding a dozen wells in needy communities. That's a lot to do. There are other things to do, like the poor in our own neighborhoods and understanding the scriptures for ourselves and for our community group discussions, and there's just so much mission, right? So, so here's, here's the thing. Uh, this is why the top and bottom, number one and number three, are so key. We can do mission, but if we ignore the lines before and after, we get in big trouble. If we ignore peace be with you or shalom, well, guess what? Your emotional health will be off, burnout. We won't learn what it means to ground our identity in the patient love of God. Uh, or in Jesus' words, we won't come to me, all you who are weary, and I'll give you rest. We won't ever realize what that means. If we try to do mission without peace, you become a human doing and not a human being anymore. We're human beings, not human doings. And then on top of that, if you ignore line three, receive God, the Spirit, into your inner life. If you ignore the power and presence of the Spirit, we have a surefire formula for fatigue and failure. So we have to ask the question and be open to responding to who we find there. And it's this, who's the Holy Spirit? Who is this person? 
Who is, what is this thing called the Spirit? And what, what is His presence? And I hear, I come on Sundays to Park Hill and I hear Evan say things like, Holy Spirit, come and we want your presence here. We want to f- experience the manifest, tangible presence of God. What the heck are we even asking for? And what are the signs of the evidence of it? Um, excellent, excellent line of thought. I want to take that thought all the way through the next three months. But starting here, the best place to start is the literal beginning, okay? Page one of the Bible. Page one of the Bible. Did you know the first person of the Trinity to come to us in the story of the Bible is not the Father or Son, but the Spirit. So uh, open to Genesis. My, as my beloved mentor, Gary Bashirs <laughs> he would say, every sermon begins in Genesis 1. I think he's right. Because those first two pages are ground zero for Jesus' worldview, which should really matter to Jesus' followers. Everything Jesus thought, all of his opinions and his worldview, the starting point for his, his thought process, he had far more developed thoughts beyond Genesis 1 and 2, but they all were rooted there. Whether it's about what humans are or who God is, how we care for creation and the environment, singleness, family, marriage, work and rest, all of these things, their, their root concepts go back to these two pages. So it's really important if you follow Jesus to, to give some of your life to knowing these two pages like the back of your hand. It's a beautiful place to start your worldview process, your worldview making process. Just a side note on worldview. So here we go, Genesis 1. I'm gonna pray for 15 seconds. Here we go, Holy Spirit come. We're about to be introduced to you in the pages. Speak to us in this room, in our white folding chairs, under the San Diego sun. Holy Spirit, come. Illuminate the darkness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. First two lines of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now here's the focus for today, line two. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Verses like that I could meditate on every morning for the rest of my life. The word spirit there is the Hebrew word. Anybody know it? Yeah, I heard some of you. It's very fun to say. So it's ruach. Can you say this without spitting? (laughs) Ruach. I do want to hear you say it. Ruach. All right. It's very fun. It's the same Hebrew word for breath, which is what you had to feel in order to say it. It's the same Hebrew word for wind. It's all one word. Word, uh, breath, and wind, and spirit. So right from the beginning of the great story, God's own wind, his own breath, is hovering over the water surface. Um, Now there's some wordplay here. There's some wordplay on page one, line two which tells us a lot about who this spirit is and what he does, what he loves. You actually get a sense of what he loves here. And so so first, the author sets up the problem. Uh, What's the problem in verse two? Slide nine here. Here's the problem. First problem in the Bible. Next slide. That's the first problem of the Bible. The earth has problems. It's formless and empty. That's a huge problem. Why? First of all, don't think earth. When you think earth, what do you picture? 
a globe. So that's because we have the luxury of Hubble and the space telescopes now. They did not have those technological amazing things. They had the land under their feet that they would sow and plant and water and, and make homes on. So the earth was, is the Hebrew word, the land. Don't think sphere, floating blue dot. Think, I just hope it rains this spring. So, uh, and I hope my, my home doesn't get ransacked by Canaanites next Monday. That's, that's, that's the earth. It's this land, and I see a horizon around it. I don't know how far it goes. Um, so, so, so this is home, the land, the place where humans are supposed to belong, live together in community and work and rest with God and one another. This is the land. And so, but right now, the home, the homeland is uninhabitable. It's got cracks in the foundations and the windows are broken and the furniture is all ripped out of it and there's no help to rebuild. Uninhabitable. Um, If God wants a place for his human family to belong like this, then God needs to do something about this uncultivated, uninhabitable waste. This chaos that used to be maybe home and isn't So the obvious next question is, what will God do? What is he going to do about this? How will God solve this? And right away, the author answers, and it's brilliant. You guys, when I saw this, I could not unsee this when I first saw this. So the author describes two parallel views of the same reality. So there's two ways to see what's happening right now. And all of us are invited to see reality through the lens of the Spirit. The lens, Jesus says, receive it. Here, put them on. Live in them, walk in them, walk with me. Take my yoke upon you. Take my burden. It's light, even though it's hard. See the world through my lens by my power. Come on, come and drink. So this is, line two of the Bible has this invitation in it. And and so this is the invitation. It's here. Genesis 1, second half of verse 2. Here's the two lines. Darkness over the deep, spirit of God hovering over waters. Two different descriptions of the same problem. Do you see this? Here it is spelled out more explicitly. The next slide. So the problem, home is uninhabitable. My home is chaos. I don't have it. I don't belong. And and so it looks like darkness, confusion, hiddenness. This is the darkness. Pitch black, you can't see. No illumination whatsoever. And it's over the face of the deep. That word deep there in Hebrew is more like abyss, primordial chaos, not just ocean. This is Nietzsche's, I've stared into my atheism and I've seen the end of eternal nothingness and I'm hopeless. This is the deep. But then he restates the scenario, the author restates it from God's reality. And he says, what's really happening? There's not, where there was darkness, it's actually God's spirit hovering, nurturing. Some scholars say that hovering word actually has an impregnating, life-creating, energizing force and character about it. God is waiting, aching to, to fill potential, to feed potential into this moment. And, and over the face of the, oh, it's not chaos anymore. Now it's a neutral ocean. I know what to do with water and God knows what to do with water. Water makes sense now. Do you see this? The author is describing the same original state from two different angles. 
And the invitation is to see it through the lens of the Spirit. So um, this is the invitation of the Bible. What looks like chaos is an invitation to look again. Always an invitation to look again. To see reality the way Jesus sees it. A world saturated with God's own life-giving presence where all are invited to look to Jesus and receive the Holy Spirit. So it's real depression, deconstruction, decreation. That chaos is real. And it's going on in many of us in this church. And it's something not to be hidden, but confess reality. Confess the reality of your experience. 100,000%. Do not hide. That, that right there, that darkness, hiddenness is what's the problem. Don't hide the reality. Bring it to God so that he can then show you where he is in that reality. And so when you do that, at the, so the invitation, slide 12, the invitation of Jesus is to see your chaos as the optimal space for encountering the Spirit of God. So, so from the first page, line two of the Bible, we see who God is, how he introduces himself to us first. He's like this nurturing, aching presence who just wants to get in the mess. He's so, he, can't, he can't escape the mess. It's where he wants to be. And, and the same word for hovering is in Deuteronomy, again, where it says the Spirit of God hovered over the water. Later, at the end of the Torah, in book five of the Bible, it says an eagle hovering over her young. This is God, a maternal spirit of nurturing care in a moment of transition or crisis or chaos. You guys, I want to ask you, do, do you, <laughs> does this person, this Holy Spirit person, seem like an untrustworthy presence to you? And this feels like the kind of person I, w I want to trust with my darkest parts, to be dead honest. If he can handle the primal abyss of decreation, he can handle my hurt and my wounding. If, 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 this, if this is what the Spirit is like, then I really need to find ways to be in his presence. As many ways as I can. Like, how, how can I get more in his presence and experience this procreation, this creation state in his spirit life-giving presence. And this is the invitation to receive the Holy Spirit, illuminated precisely when you need him most right now to receive his power and healing. This is the true belonging you crave, I crave. I can say that without presuming because this is the human condition. Uh, a human that doesn't crave belonging is a very, very, very sad and, and, and tragic. You pray for these, Lord, I pray that you would reconnect the, the depth of disconnection in that individual because the vast majority of us in any mental state, in any country, in any culture, crave belonging. And it's a craving. It's a hunger, which is exactly why the first appearance of the Spirit in Scripture is to create a home to belong. And so I, I, I want to invite you into one key question just to drive us into this three-month series, and it's this question. Are you hungry? That craving for belonging that comes from God's presence who created out of chaos. Are you hungry for this? Do you crave more of this in your life? More integrity, integration between what you say and how you act. <laughs> Why do I keep separating those things? Holy Spirit, come. 
more, more wholeness in my relationships. Like, why do I keep feeling misunderstood and misunderstanding others? Holy Spirit, come. You crave that kind of life where you're, are you aware of your need for God's Spirit? Are you hungry for this? So one of the key moments in the Bible is a moment of raw hunger where the children of Israel are being led out of a chaotic 400 years of slavery. They're being led out of, that's pretty chaotic. Two years of COVID is bad. 400 years of slavery is worse. So, so, so they're being led out and they're transitioning into freedom, trying to figure out who they are as a people. What is our identity? Who are we? How are we, how are we a, a nation? What does this even look like to move forward? And God and Moses get into this argument. <laughs> it's very funny, actually. Uh, so I'll read it. But, but get this. Picture being in a tent with God. This is Moses right now. He's in a tent outside the camp that he just meets with God. No big deal. So, um, so God and Moses have this argument. And Moses says this. You've been telling me, lead but you've not let me know who you'll send with me. You said, I know you by name and you found favor with me. You said you love me. You said I'm your loved daughter. You said I'm your loved son. Well, if, if I am, if that's true, teach me your ways so I can know you and keep finding favor with you. Remember, remember this nation is your people. Remember, God, don't forget this church. Don't forget this city. Don't for, remember how much you say you love the world. Well, look at us. This is like audacious, to say the least, his posture with God. Um, and look at God's reply. He says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. So that's peace be with you, receive my presence, spirit. That's, that's what we need to do the mission, right? And so Moses is like, okay, but if your presence, if, if you're lying, <laughs> this is crazy, Moses. He's so... If, if, because he doesn't get struck by lightning in this moment, he continues talking, right? He's like, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us. He's like, I can't do the mission without the peace and the spirit. I can, we can't do this thing. Verse 16, how will anyone know that you're pleased with me unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you've asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. And Moses is like, not enough. <laughs> He's like, God, if that's true, show me your glory. This, this boldness is not something we're used to. It's not, I don't know how often you pray this way. It's not, it's not a norm for me. I'll just put it that way. So he's like, show me your glory. Prove yourself. Show me the evidence of your presence. And the Lord said, okay, I'll cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. I'll proclaim my name, Yahweh, in your presence. I'll have mercy on whoever I want. And I'll have compassion on whoever I want. This is who I am. And you're gonna see the full glory of this. And later on in the text, God goes, you asked for it, basically. And, and God hides Moses in this strategic rock cliff. And then God passes by and shows just an afterburn of his beauty and glory. And so Moses wouldn't just melt in the wonder. And, and what God says, it's not about the burn. It's not about the wonder. It's not about the endorphins or the goosebumps that the worship's at. It's, it's, about, it's about what God says about himself. He says, Yahweh, Yahweh, I am. Elohim, 
compassionate, gracious, abounding in steadfast love. I'm serious about sin, but I punish to the fourth generation while mercy for the thousandth generation. And I'm gonna do this if I want to. This, this is because who, this is who I am. And, and, and so, his, so, so Moses asks for the presence to be revealed and God shows up. And, and Moses, this is all because of hunger. This is all because of Moses' hunger. What you just witnessed is a display of raw hunger, the kind of hunger my kids have, at, you know, and right before dinner, when I'm like, you gotta wait for dinner, they're like, come on, I want a snack. You know what I mean? And I'm like, oh, you gotta wait, it's gonna be good. This is raw hunger. In fact, my wife was talking to me this week about hunger in scripture. First Peter 1 is all about all we have in Christ. How Old Testament saints and New Testament saints all talk about this thing called salvation that we get to have. This thing called being God's kid that we get to enjoy. And he has this amazing quote, even the angels are jealous, he says. Even the angels want to see what is life empowered by God like? Life in the spirit, not even the angels are filled with the spirit. There's nothing in the Bible that says angels get what we get. And, and the angels are jealous. And then, and then Peter says this, therefore lay aside all envy and deceit and malice and eagerly crave the pure spiritual milk. He uses a kind of graphic metaphor of a baby like, give it to me now. I know nothing but this craving. My, my erotic craving is for God in this moment. My whole person, my whole body, my whole, my whole mouth, my whole self, my whole existence is bent and, and pointed to this person who is the only one that can give me the things I need and I know it in my DNA, not just in my head. Earnestly crave the pure spirit milk or pure logos word of Jesus. This, do you, are you hungry? This is Moses on the mountain. This is Peter writing to exiles in, 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 under Rome in 1 Peter. And he's like, he's like the, only, the only correct, the only logical posture in light of the God who sustains and the world that wants to pull us away from God is like, I'm, I need more of God. I need more of his presence. I need more of his actual evidence of his presence in my life. Come, come Lord. And he's like, I love you. I've declared my identity over you. Yes, that's great. I want to experience it. <laughs> I want to know more about it. So, so this, this is the kind of hunger this moment, 2022, requires, I, I believe. Um, Moses knew this because he was going into a new country where people worshipped money, sex, and power instead of the God who made those awesome things. And, and, and it's similar to us. We're in a culture, we're God's people, where we worship the God who made the stuff that our culture worships. And, and, and so it's like, man, how do we live? How do we live honoring to this God who is real? And, and it, this requires a hunger, a community that knows I need God's presence. Listen, I'll say this. Uh, we, you and I cannot rest our spiritual existence on a Bible study podcast or on that amazing sermon or that worship night or on those five best practices for an emotionally healthy leader, whatever. As awesome as that is, or like that year of therapy is so helpful, you can't live on that forever. Whatever external support structures we might build into our lives, as great as those are, they're super helpful, 
It's all fantastic. By the way, we're gonna do an emotionally healthy relationship series in the not too distant future because we need to learn to keep speaking to each other as mature adults <laughs> in a culture that, that actually benefits, media that benefits from us speaking to each other like children. Um, we need to learn to grow in that. And it's great. Emotionally healthy tips and all of that is wonderful. But after all of those support improvement structures, in the end, there's this sense that something's missing. If the point of human life is to enjoy a vibrant connection with the living God, revealed in Jesus through the Spirit, then you can do Bible studies and therapy and emotional health all you want, but there has got to be more. There's got to be. And so I'm asking, are you hungry? Are you hungry? Listen to Jesus. He says, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Question, how do you feel when you read that from Jesus? I'll be honest with me, I'm like, come to Jesus, never thirst? I've been a Christian all my life. How does that even work? I feel lonely. <laughs> like, I'm still anxious. I'm still afraid of the same junk. 10 years ago, it still gets me. Same imposter syndrome when I'm around people that just make me feel scared. I'm still thirsty to belong to the people I'm with. I'm still hungry to see power in my life, to break through those things. What do you mean, come to me and I'll never thirst again? I'm with you. And I'm hungry. And then there's the miraculous stuff in Scripture which I was always taught are real. I'm like, I want to see that now. I want to see healing. I want to see prophecy. And I have seen some healing. I've seen a lot of prophecy. But why isn't it just falling off the tree like ripe fruit all the time? Like it seems to be in Acts. One reason is because Acts was written over 40 years and that's a lot of, that's, you know, that's a lot of time for just a few stories. But still, I feel like Jesus said we should expect that. And then the mothers and fathers over church history that just lived like, just like they're in the Bible. Like, I want to see that. I want, I'm hungry for that kind of experience with God. If you resonate with this desire, you're not alone. Um, Billy Graham said this about a decade ago. Uh, Everywhere I go, he said, I find that God's people lack something. By the way, Billy had a unique finger on the pulse of culture and the, 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 the intersection of spiritual and cultural thinking in the world. Probably no one had a better bird's eye view of, of something like this. So he can make this statement. Everywhere I go, I find God's people lack something. They're hungry for something. Their Christian experience is not all that they expected, and they often have recurring defeat in their lives. Christians today are hungry for spiritual fulfillment. The most desperate need of the nation today is that men and women who profess Jesus be filled with the Holy Spirit. And, you know, who can argue with the Billy, you know? But seriously, like his diagnosis after living the way better part of a century, it, like at the bird's eye view, looking down and, and taking in all the data, he, he deduced the, the most desperate need of all humans, not just the church, of, of the day, is that the men and women who confess they carry the kingdom are actually filled with the Spirit. That's the most desperate need the world has. 
So however you are coming into this series, whatever your church background, your excitement, your hesitance, your joy, your fear, maybe you're ambivalent, you're like, I'm cool with whatever. You're like a Holy Spirit Switzerland or something. I'm just like, either way. Uh, however you come into this series, I think the common denominator across the board is we're a people who are thirsty for more. More of the Spirit, more of all that God has for us. And I, for one, just... Evan, speaking about my view of things, <laughs> I personally want so desperately for our, our church community to grow in this. I'm so eager for this. A community that knows when we gather here and when we gather in homes as communities, we're here for more than just songs and sermons. <laughs> one, one guy said it, and communities are often about prayer, care, share. Those are great things. Praying is great. Caring is great. Sharing is great. Those are actually vital to human existence. But without the spirit, it'll feel like a brick wall. It won't feel like, it won't feel like Moses on the mountain saying, if we're, if we're not praying, caring, and sharing what God wants and what we're all in agreement with what the spirit seems to be doing in this moment, then what's going to distinguish this from anything else that we could do in a little room? So, so don't get me wrong. I love songs and sermons, and I love praying and caring and sharing. Need all of them. Songs and sermons actually are in my job description. <laughs> like I'm a worship leader and a pastor, so I love them. They're literally in writing for my job. So we'll always have a high value for those things. We'll always be shaped by those things. Our gatherings will never be less than singing. Singing lights a fire in the heart for belonging actually lends to it. But there's got to be more. That we, we're hungry for more. I'm, I'm tired of just reading about this stuff in the Bible. Yeah. And I'm tired of visiting communities that are thriving in this stuff. I want to see it here. Yeah. I want to see it here. Like, I long to live and breathe it. I want it for my life. I want it for yours. I want it for your communities. I want it in our elders' meetings. I want it for our staff. I'd, what Park Hill kids, can you imagine our kids growing up in a world where they listen to God, learn to hear his voice, and see God work in miraculous ways. And I want this desperately for our church for the sake of the city, city like that the city would see what kind of fruit that generates. And, and I'll just say none of this is really new to us. This isn't like some new thing that I'm bringing up on a Sunday. I remember 594, four and a half years ago, we were building up to the launch Planting this church, 594 was the address. Sorry, that was very lacking context. But uh, that was the building we first met in on 6th and Fur on the southwest corner of Balboa Park right here. Um, we, we, we articulated a conscious desire for God to come. And, and we put it, we laid it out in the form of a series called Awakening, where we looked at God responding to urgent human cry and God actually shifting based on human inter intercession. God responding in ways he would not have had we not cried. This is the God we are invited to do this thing with, who is hovering over our chaos first. And so um, this is not new. This is not a new thing for us. But... As I woke up early this morning to write the end of the sermon, I get up super early on Sundays usually, um, just because 
I can't sleep. I'm nervous every time a little bit at like three or four in the morning. But uh, as I woke up early I, to write the end, I was like, God, is there, is there anything else you want, you want me to say to, to seal this moment? And immediately what came to mind was Ezekiel's vision in chapter 47 of his book, Ezekiel. Um, you guys know the story of the river. Ezekiel's river. There's this river pouring out of the temple. The river is God's spirit. The temple is God's presence. These are very, very good things. And as the river pours out, it's deep and wide. And he's led into the water 1,000 steps. And it's at his ankles. And he's told to go deeper, so he's led another 1,000 steps, number two. So we've been around, our church is four years. I'm just, I just it's a fun parallel. So the first thousand steps, second thousand steps, now he's at his knees. Third thousand, he's at his waist. And then before he knows it, somewhere between 3,000 and 4,000, he can't touch the bottom anymore and he has to choose to swim. Okay, so like we've all been there. You're at the beach, you're like in the water and it's taking you 45 minutes just to get to your waist because it's frigid and it's so cold, but you don't want to get your hair wet. So but, but your friends are like, come on. At some point, they're like, it's just time to get in. You've been wasting. Just get in all the way. Come on. I kind of feel like that's where we're at as a church. Yeah, for these four years as a church, we've been inching toward the living waters. And honestly, I think it's been everything it's supposed to be. It's been everything it's supposed to be. And, and now I think it's time to kind of dive. In, in the water, swimming over our heads, the comfort of knowing where the bottom is may not necessarily be on God's agenda for us because we have his goodness. I believe that's where God has us right now and I'm, I believe I'm speaking on behalf of our church leadership because they read this ahead of time and they agreed. So it's time to experience all that God has for us, you guys. There's two E words, two E words that get a bad rap in church. Emotions and experience. Right? I mean, it's really unfortunate. People are like, don't trust your emotions. Trust God. Don't trust your experience and your emotions. Just trust the Bible or whatever. Uh, but the problem is when you then go to read the Bible, you see people very emotional <laughs> all the time. And you see Jesus, who's probably the most emotionally in touch, definitely most in touch with his emotions human, who's ever lived. Don't tell me Jesus wasn't emotional. And don't tell me Jesus wasn't about experience. He said, you who follow me, who are filled with my spirit, will experience greater things than you've seen me do. So, so he has these promises right here. He's saying it's through the Holy Spirit. Look at John 16 on the screen. This is Jesus describing what to expect with his spirit. He says, truly I tell you, it's for your good that I'm leaving. Unless I go away, the advocate, that's the name for the Holy Spirit Jesus used, the advocate won't come to you if I'm here. But if I go, I'll send him. Can you imagine? Jesus is like, no, I'm not going to preach at Park Hill. You have the spirit. It's better. What? Jesus, you should have the mic. That's amazing. I want Jesus to talk. We can translate from Aramaic if we need to. Like, I think that would be awesome. Um, but he's saying that's not as good. When the spirit comes, verse 8, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin, righteousness, and judgment about sin because people don't believe, righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can't see me any longer, and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. He's like the spirit gets to make the calls, which is really nice for you. You guys aren't the ultimate judge. Trust the spirit. He's fair. And then verse 12, he says, I have way more to say, 
but you can't handle it right now. He says, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He won't speak on his own. He'll speak just what he heard and he'll tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it's from me that he'll receive what he'll make known to you. This spirit is gonna animate us. This spirit's gonna light us up and blow wind into our sails, you guys. And Jesus finally says, all that belongs to the Father is mine. That's why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. And so that whole passage is a stinking treasure chest of Holy Spirit stuff. We're not going to get into it all today. There's one thing I want us to see. We're going to unpack it later in the, we're going to unpack this passage later in the series. It's going to be beautiful. But for now, all you need to see is one thing that changes everything. And that is that the Holy Spirit is a he. Now that doesn't mean male. It's not about gender. It doesn't mean male. I think of Romans 8 where the imagery of the spirit is a mother giving birth to a child. There's tons of feminine imagery for the Holy Spirit in the scriptures. Not, the fact that I say he's a he is not the, about gender. It's about he is a person. Jesus never once uses the Greek word for it. Jesus is intimately equated with this person. Isaiah in the Old Testament, Paul in the New Testament, both say this, don't make the spirit sad. That's interesting. You can hurt the Holy Spirit's feelings. You can actually estrange yourself from relationship with the spirit. The spirit is a person. In the scriptures, the spirit is described as the one who teaches, speaks, reminds you of stuff, makes decisions. He can feel sad. He can feel glad. He can feel mad. He gives gifts. He prays for us. He raises up leaders in the church. He reminds us, hey, you're adopted and chosen as a child of God. He reminds you specifically of your adoption. He bears witness to Jesus. He glorifies and lifts up Jesus. Anytime we talk about the spirit, we're supposed to see Jesus. He wants us to see Jesus. In fact, 1 Corinthians 2 says the spirit is the one who gives you a direct spiritual connect to the mind of Jesus. He reveals to you the mind of Christ. It's not just the spirit. The spirit, son, and father are always acting in unity. So to have the spirit is to have God. The person, are you hungry for more of God in your life? As Park Hill leaders, this is our dream. Just that hunger would saturate. By the end of this series, you don't just see yourself as a person who goes to church, but you actually see yourself as more than just consuming songs and sermons. Instead, our dream is that we'd come here and you'd be like, hey, my, my unique voice is needed empowered by the spirit and propelled into this thing called family. My voice, my wiring, your gifts, personality, the very person you are is essential piece of this animated by the spirit to then give gifts. And you're like, oh my gosh, I have, I have things that people here need. I don't just have needs, although we do, you do. I hope your needs are met here. But it's not just my, I have, I have things others need. The spirit activates this. The spirit enlightens where I can do this. And I come in here going, where is the opportunity for this? I come to community going, I've had this verse in my heart, I'm not sure who it's for, but my antennas are up. Bringing healing to the broken, right here, right? You never know. So I close with the words of Jesus again. He says, 
Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the the call of Jesus can be summed up in three words. Come, believe, and drink. Come, believe, drink. The way we come to Jesus is through baptism. Next week, we'll have a tank. You're invited to step into the kingdom. If you've never been baptized, come. That is the next thing on your agenda, your eternal agenda, top of your list for, you know, end of April 2022, your baptism. (laughs) Come to Jesus. And then believe. That word believe is just trust. Do you trust that the Spirit is trustworthy? If you say, Holy Spirit, come, do what you want, surprise me if necessary, break down my ambitions and my convictions if they're not yours. I trust that you have my best interests in mind. Do you trust what God will do in response? You're invited to believe that God's best interests, oh my goodness, they make all of us look silly. But most of us here, I imagine, believe that the Holy Spirit is real. You've you've come and you do believe that God is good and you believe there's a spirit. But did you know, uh, based on like a survey 10 years ago, Christianity Today put out 51% of Bible-believing, regular church-going, passionate Jesus followers, like people that all register, all they tick all the boxes, 51% of the American church believes the Holy Spirit is not a person but a force. Like, Obi, Obi-Wan, or whatever. <laughs> like this thing that just, we can call on that might give us more wisdom, just this force. So, so I would attach that to the third thing. Come believe and drink from the person who has promised to bring order and life and healing where there was chaos now. He's a person, you guys. And so you're like, okay, how do I drink? And guess what the answer is to that? Jesus doesn't answer. (laughs) We know how to come, be baptized. We know how to believe, trust, confess. How do you drink? How do you drink of the water of life? It's like this metaphor with no concrete... (laughs) Or is there? It's almost as if he wants you to stay in this place of humble, infant-like, craving desire for more all the time. Keep drinking. Where am I not drinking? Oh, I'm dry. I come back to my first love, wherever I know, the place where I met you. I come, I come to the table again, no, oh my gosh, this, I've been treating this flippantly. I come back, I drink. Suddenly you're drinking. Even though you've been drinking the bread and the cup, now you're drinking. What does drinking look like for you? Drinking of God, hungering for God and finding fulfillment in his presence. Community, Bible, all these things, yes, absolutely. But it starts, it has to be from this place. God, more. I want more of you in my life, more evidence, more power. Show me. 
I'm here for these three months and I just want you to show me, give me evidence that you are good and you're at work. I wanna see fruit, measurable fruit. By the end of these three months, come July, I'm gonna see a difference. God, I'm coming to you believing this is true. And so I'm, I'm gonna lead us in just a prayer, a, a practice that, uh, that really does conjure this idea. It, it, it uh, creates this environment where we're encouraged to say more, Lord. And I'm, I'm gonna have a stand and just pray this if you're comfortable. So, so stand together. If you're not a Christian, <clears throat> it's awesome. You get a free pass off this. If you're not a Christian, just this is a safe, awesome place to just observe. But all we're gonna do, you guys, is pray out loud. And the church all over the world, the, 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 quick, the fastest growing church in, in the world is the charismatic Pentecostal church. We welcome all stripes at Park Hill Church. Um, but they say by 2060, there will be more Pentecostals than Roman Catholics on planet Earth. And, uh, and that's, just, that's just the nature. There's this, there's this longing way of praying uh, if you go to Scotland, if you go to South Africa, if you go to Korea, if you go to Latin America and you, and you witness churches that believe God can manifest his goodness at any moment, there's this way of praying that they do where everyone speaks all at once and just says, come Holy Spirit. Everybody, come Holy Spirit. And I'm gonna lead us in that in a moment. And it's very simple. Just the way you talk to a person is all you have to do now. So it's not some little quiet whisper or some loud shouting thing. If you shout, you should be quieter. Um, but just how you talk to a person, a person who is trustworthy, who's with you, who's here, and, and just begin crying out to him for more of his presence in your life and in your church and in your family. Just a prayer of longing, a prayer of craving. This is how a community expresses, crave the pure spiritual milk. Look, Holy Spirit, come, more of you. And so for 30 seconds of sustained spoken prayer, again, full volume, talking volume, doesn't need to be louder than that. All of us together praying this way will be a very encouraging atmosphere. It's beautiful. So uh, I'll just pray for us first and then we'll go, Holy Spirit, come bless us as we pray. May this be a moment of spoken worship and spoken yearning and craving and longing for the goodness of God to be manifest in Park Hill Church and beyond. So everyone together, just pray 30 seconds out loud, your talking voice out loud. Pray that the Holy Spirit would have us. Thank you, Lord. We pray that you would have your way in this church.